We're in Romans chapter 5, continuing on in our sermon series, The Gospel of God. We're in Romans chapter 5, reading verses 20 and 21 this morning. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Last week I told you that I was going to spend two weeks in these verses and I'm going to hold to that, but I also told you that I wanted to jump to this week and skip last week. I was anxious to get here to where I want to share this morning because of the glory of what I think these passages hold, which is interesting because it would be easy as we've come through chapter 5, we spent several weeks in the portion right before these last two verses. It would be easy just to say, well, we'll just run right by these verses. The temptation sometimes is that, to hurry through things. But I just want to tell you this morning what we would have missed. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. We would have missed an incredibly significant part of what Paul has to say in Romans right here. A reaffirmation, really, of everything he's already said. That's part of what these verses have. First of all, they just summarize kind of what he's already said. They, they summarize the gospel. And then they go on, not only to summarize the gospel, but they go on to introduce the next chapter, chapter 6. And that's where we're headed, Lord willing, next week. We'll introduce chapter 6. But before we do that, I want us to take time to rest here. And, and really, the, the title of what I want to talk about here is the reign of grace. That's really what I wanted to rush to last week, is to talk about the reign of grace. And I think it fits Father's Day really well. I think it fits where we're at today, because the most significant gift that any father can give to their family and to their children is to participate in this reign of grace, to let this reign of grace reign over you. There's nothing more valuable that you can give to your children than that. Living in and under the reign of grace is, in a nutshell, what it means to be a Christian. If you are a Christian today, if you're a believer, if you've come to life in Christ, you fit the definition of living under the reign of grace. That is so precious for your family. That's why I affirm to you that you're here this morning on Father's Day when you could have made other choices. It is so good to see it. And what I want to do now is, is go back and talk about these verses in the sense that there's a contrast being made here, a contrast between the reign of sin. If you look at that text, it says, now the law came into, into increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death... Grace might also reign through righteousness. That's the contrast that Paul's painting. And so last week, we had to, to 
paint the contrast. We had to take time to talk about the reign of sin. We had to because if you don't see that, you won't see the opposite of that. You won't see what he means by the reign of grace as fully as you ought. And I think in many ways... That's one of the things that happens and one of the ways that the enemy of our soul would attempt to make us ineffective as we walk with Christ. If he somehow can minimize what that reign of grace is, then we won't have the ability to influence and impact those around us as we ought to be able to. And part of what causes us not to really see the reign of grace is if we don't first of all see the reign of sin. And so we spent time talking about that. We talked about how important it was to see it. And, and really, I think, um, more so than ever in this age. Now, this is anecdotal, but I've been in ministry 40-some years. And though I don't have any statistics to show this, I just sense it, that there was a difference 40 years ago than there is now in the sense of people having a sense of sin. Um, Sin in their own lives is what I'm talking about. Now, it may not be that they decided to follow Christ, decided to to, uh, move into the reign of grace, but there was more of a sense, at least of acknowledgement of it, not running over it as quickly. And, And that's really what happened in Europe, the place where the Reformation happened today, is ahead of us in a sad way, although we're catching up, is there's just just not the sense of sin, not the sense of the weightiness of the reign of sin in the lives of all people, as we talked about, because we participated in the sin of Adam. You can go back on the webpage and see those messages, but there just isn't. It's harder to do ministry today than it used to be because people had some built-in things that today you... You can't anticipate they're already built in. They've, they've been pushed down deep, and so there's not a sense of, of sin. And so when you talk about it, some people just turn you off. But lots of people, though they may not turn you off, just have no parameters kind of to put it into in their lives. And one of the prayers that we have in our community is that God would just move across our community and, and put a sense of sin and, and a, a sense in which people would wake up in the night. This is the way to picture it. Wake, wake, we get testimonies of people waking in the night thinking, I, I need to do something about my sin. I need to find a remedy for my sin. That they agonize. Um, I, I didn't grow up in the church and in many ways wish I'd have had early on some different kind of people come into my life to disciple me after I had committed my life to Christ because I struggled for some years um, just getting foundation under me early on. But, but one of the things that I didn't struggle with was a sense of sin. One, one of the things I am so grateful for is that there was, there was a driving factor even before I came to Christ in my life. It's what led me ultimately to Christ is I just had a sense in which I knew my sin, and I knew that it, 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 it was uncovered. I knew I was in danger. I had a sense of that, an extreme sense of that in my life. And, 
And now I look back. There were times in that I didn't like it very much. But I look back on it now and I thank God for that. If, if you have that in your life, don't push it away. Don't shove it away, young person. Thank God for it because it is a gift of God. Gift of God's grace because if you don't see it, you're not going to look to the remedy. And the remedy isn't going to look like it ought to look if you don't sense it. So that's why we couldn't run by last week. We never should run by last week. We need to embrace it in order to see the contrast. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to turn now to this idea, this concept that gets introduced here in these terms. It's been there already. I said it's a summation, really, of what Paul's been talking about. But he puts a label to it. He says the reign of grace. Look specifically at how he says it there. Grace might also reign through righteousness. But the reign of grace... The reign of grace. It's interesting in Scripture. Let me, let me just give you a point which may help you at other times. If you look at verse 20, look at what it says. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but sin, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You see that word but? Whenever there's a but like that in Scripture, this, but this, many times, majority of times, Paul Particularly read writings of Paul. Paul is introducing the gospel. He's introducing the hope. And so don't run by those things. See them and see it here. That's exactly what we find here. And the gospel is the doorway. The gospel is the doorway to understanding the reign of grace. It's a doorway into the reign of grace. Um, except we come to life because we see the glory of the gospel and run to Christ and we don't, we don't begin the reign. The reign begins as we embrace Christ and all that he is for us in the gospel. So let me take some time quickly here this morning to just say three things about this reign. Three things about the reign of grace. First thing that I would say to you, and the scripture affirms to us, is that it's a superior reign. It is a superior reign. And in this context, again, in the context of the reign of sin, it is a far superior reign that it's talking about in the contrast. It says in, this, in the text, where sin increased, where sin increased, grace abounded. Sin increased, grace abounded. Other translation says where sin abounded, grace more abounded. But here in, this, in, the, in the ESV, it says where sin increased, grace abounded. It's super abounded. It's, it's got a prefix on it because it doesn't just say that grace abounded in the text. Um, it says that all the more. It abounded all the more. It's a prefix really to the word abound. It's super Abounded. It's not just a comparative word. He's not just comparing uh, and using a comparative word or a comparative analogy. He is using a superlative kind of word as he talks about it abounding. It abounded beyond measure. It overflowed. It was, it was if you will, like a mighty flood that it came and compared to the rain of death or the reign of sin, which creates the reign of death. 
That's the comparison that the writer draws here in the text. Another text, just, just hear it this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 54, Paul again is writing, and this is the same kind of superlative language that we find here in this text this morning, where Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is not just defeated by um, by the work of Christ, but it's swallowed up by the cross. You see, it, it's more than just an offset, if you will. But the, the scripture says it is swallowed up in victory. It's the superlative kind of connotation that we get here in Romans chapter 5. It's not merely balanced or barely canceled sin, but sin is gobbled up. It's the idea of it being gobbled up. By grace. Now, if, if it were true that it was merely balanced, that this grace balances sin or that it cancels sin, that would be wonderful. As one man said, that would be enough for all eternity to rejoice if that were the case alone. That would, that would be grounds to rejoice. But... That's not what it says. It says it's superabounded. It's more than that. It's more than just balancing and canceling out sin that it talks about when it talks about the reign of grace here in this text. That's the kind of idea that Paul wanted to get across. It's the kind of idea that Paul came to early on. Remember in Romans chapter 1, as we introduced it and we saw the heart of the whole passage kind of summarized in chapter 1 and verse 16, it's for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's the power of God to salvation, this reign of grace through righteousness. Let that get a hold of you. Maybe it already has. If it has, it makes a dramatic difference in how you view the gospel and how you view the Christian life. When you begin to see it in superlative terms, it changes It changes how you live out this life of faith. You're not just getting by. You're not squeaking by by the by the skin of your teeth, if you will. That's not what this grace does. And, and that's not the way we should live out the Christian life. It is a superlative term. And it comes, again, we don't want to move on too quickly, it comes in contrast to the, the reign of sin. And it comes when we begin to see our sin as we ought to see it. As we ought to see it, we, we begin to see the superabundance of this reign of grace. In Luke chapter 7, um, let me turn there for a minute. You, you may want to go there, but if not, just listen to me. In this particular text, in Luke chapter 7, it's the story of the woman who came to Jesus. Remember, Jesus was reclining at the table of a Pharisee 
who had invited him to dinner, and a woman breaks into that setting and begins to anoint Jesus' feet. And the tears flow so freely from her that she has trouble doing it. They drop onto Jesus' feet, and she becomes noticed in that setting by those around. The whole gist of that story is this, but he who is forgiven little loves little. In other words, Jesus focuses his thoughts on the Pharisee who doesn't see his sin. In fact, lives in his self-righteousness and shows the contrast there of not the fact in, in many ways. I, sin is sin. Sin is sin. It wasn't that the Pharisee wasn't sinful. It's just that he didn't see his sin. And so again, I go back to what I said before. If God is showing you your sin, be grateful for that. If, he, if he's causing you to have concern about eternity, concern about the, where your ultimate location will be one day, Thank God for that, because that's the means by which God then begins to show you the abundance of his grace. If we don't feel heavily our sin, we're not going to run to him for a righteousness that he promises to provide for us. So the first of all, the first thing to say, it is a, it is a superlative rain. The second thing is that this rain... This rain is resting on the foundation of righteousness. This is the point. This is, if, if you lose everything I've already said and you lose everything I'm going to say after this, don't miss this point. This, this is what in this text, if we would have run by it, we would have missed. And it is, it is the heart of everything I'm saying. The, the rain rests on the foundation of righteousness. Look back at the text again. Look at Romans And uh, you'll see why I say that not only is this passage an introduction to the next chapter, but it is a a summary of what's already been said. Look what it says there. It's in the contrast in verse 21. It says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. There's that word, isn't it? Righteousness. What does he mean when he talks about righteousness in this passage? What does he mean? What what righteousness? That's a key point to ask. Does it mean? Does it mean that Grace reigns and allows us to live a life of righteousness? That's not untrue. That's not untrue. Not perfect righteousness, but we we do begin to to live differently as a Christian, as that rain comes over us. That's, in fact, where we're going in chapter 6 and 7. He's going to talk about the effects of grace not only being God's disposition toward us, but also a power that God plants in our life by the Holy Spirit that comes into our life to live lives differently, not perfectly, not perfect righteousness, but begin as we begin to let God 
sanctify us and change us? So is that what he means? Grace reigning through righteousness? Does it mean the ability to live righteous lives? I don't think so. And in fact, be careful. Don't think that. That's not the argument Paul has had as we've come to where we're at. That is not. It's, it's not that it's not true. God does do that. But here it talks about, in the contrast, sin reigned through death, grace reigns through righteousness. It is incredibly important. This is why, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. What righteousness? You hear? What righteousness? Now, let me answer that, because Paul already did. If you go back in the text to verse 19, you'll see it. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, the sin of Adam imputed to us that we all participated in Adam's sin. We've already talked about that. We don't have time to go back over all of that. But then he gives a contrast. This was the heart of what he was telling us, beginning on verse 12 on through. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What righteousness? That righteousness. The righteousness by which God makes us righteous in his eyes. His righteousness. You see that? What Again, go back. What righteousness? Is it a righteousness that gives us grace that comes and gives us the ability to live out a life of righteousness? Not that righteousness. He's talking here about the righteousness in that comparison that just as sin is imputed to us if we're in Adam and all men are in Adam and all men sinned in Adam, so all that are in Christ that righteousness that he accomplished by his birth, his life, his death, and the ultimate resurrection of God confirming that he did it well and did it perfectly without sin, that righteousness that he accomplished in his life, he who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He might give us. Remember young people here that are here this morning. Remember that exchange we talked about? We give him your sin. And what do we get in exchange for our sin? We get his righteousness that he accomplished. It's imputed to us, a righteousness whereby God sees us as righteous because we are in Christ, no longer in Adam. If we're in Adam, he sees our sin in Adam. If we are in Christ, he sees our righteousness because we're in Christ who accomplished that righteousness. Now, you may think I'm splitting hairs here, but I'm not. This is incredibly important. This is what Paul is teaching in this text. This is the summation of everything that he's saying. It is what he meant back in chapter 1. He says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What righteousness? That righteousness. The gospel is about the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He fulfilled it. Every jot and tittle of the law, Jesus fulfilled without sin so that he might accomplish something that we could not. 
and gives us that righteousness. And so God sees us as righteous if we are in Christ. That's the foundation. That's the foundation of this reign. That's, that's where it begins. You can't, you can't be a part of the reign of grace except you enter by that door. You enter by resting in that work. That's what Paul meant earlier in Romans. Let me show you why it's so much a summation of what we've been talking about. Listen, listen to what he writes earlier in chapter 3. Hopefully it helps to clarify it and bring it clear home to us. It says in verse 22 of chapter 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What righteousness? That righteousness we talked about. The righteousness that Christ accomplished that gives to us as a gift. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The whole idea of what Christ did is he went to the cross. He took our punishment gives us his righteousness. This is what it, and this goes on to say this. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Whose who's former sins? All of those before the time of Christ who sinned. People like David and Abraham. He passed over them. They weren't punished because God was going to make a way that they wouldn't have to be because they would have a righteousness of their own that came from him. Not that they produced, but it's theirs because they're united to Christ. But it says this, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. That he might be just, righteous. God might be righteous. That he doesn't wink at sin, he doesn't, He doesn't push it under the carpet, but he provided a way to remain just and holy and to also justify, and all of it centers in the work of Christ for us. That's why what we see in Romans chapter 5 is so important to not not be confused about what he means when he says grace might reign through righteousness. That righteousness, the righteousness of Christ Grace reigns over our lives because of the work of Christ as the foundation of it. Do you see that? Does it come home to you? The righteousness of another imputed to us because we're in him. Well, let me move on to the last point, but don't leave that point. Don't move on past it. The third thing, the third thing that it says about this superabounding righteousness on the foundation of the righteousness of Christ is that it's a triumphant righteousness. You see, if you miss last, the last point that I talked about, you can't move on to the third point. You can't. 
because you can't be sure. You can't be sure it's a triumphant righteousness. In other words, you can't be sure it's a righteousness that will ultimately win in the end. You can't be sure that it's a righteousness that will be enough. Because if you fall prey to thinking that this grace reigns through a righteousness, in other words, that this grace allows me to live a life of righteousness, therefore, God accepts me, you can't be sure if you do it well enough. You can't. If it depends on us, it's iffy. Just, just here's, a way to, here's a way to know that. As you live this week, as you go out of here this week, you just keep track of the times when you didn't live for the glory of God. You just keep track of them. When you get to the end, you'll realize... See, that's my definition of sin. Whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And and you won't this week. You won't. You won't. So how can we know that we will, by God's grace, be able to live a life of righteousness that will ultimately, in the end, triumph? The truth of the matter is you can't know that. You can't. It's not that kind of righteousness. That's not the righteousness that reigns. The righteousness that reigns is the righteousness that Christ accomplished and gives to us. That's the righteousness. It's a sure thing. And that's why he uses the word reign. In both cases, he says, sin reigned in death. That's a sure thing. Sin reigns in death. Everybody dies. But even beyond that, it will end, reign in spiritual death, except there's some remedy. You can be guaranteed that sin reigns. But, we already said, grace is a superlative. And it overcomes that if we look to Christ. But it also reigns. Both terms, sin reigns, grace reigns. Reigns. And because it's the superlative, it wins. God always wins. And when God puts his grace upon a people, his intention is to not lose, to not lose them, but to win. And he does. As grace reigns over us, which begins by embracing the truth of all that we've talked about, the gospel, that that righteousness is the righteousness that Christ attained for us. We have the hope then that grace will reign. Scripture says things like this in context of that. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began it will end it. He who started it will finish it. It's my only hope, and it's your only hope, that God will finish what he begins. And he does, and he promises. That's why the scripture says he reigns. It reigns through grace. Do you know the reality of that this morning? Are you living in the reality of that this morning?
I hope you are. I hope that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for you and that you rest in that. You don't rest in anything else than that. All I have, as we sang this morning, is Christ. It's all I have. It's all you have. And that reign over us, we're going to talk more about that reign and some of the aspects of that reign as we come into chapter 6 and 7 and how it affects us and how that reign over affects us. But, but the bottom line is, it's a sure thing because eventually we're going to come to chapter 8 of Romans after we've gone through 6 and 7. And this is what he say, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also... With him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or naked? Nothing. Nothing shall separate us. The God who begins the reign ends the reign. But the key to all of that is that you see where it starts. And it begins by seeing that righteousness as the righteousness that Christ accomplished for us. I hope that you know the reality of that this morning. That's really what Paul is writing all through Romans. That's, that's what he's trying to convey He's trying to convey to us, but now a righteousness has been manifest among us. What righteousness? Not mine, even though it may be assisted by God, but his, his righteousness. That's our hope, and that's what will reign supreme. We're going to sing a song as we close this morning, and uh, it just talks about the mercy of God. And one of the lines is, though my sin is great, his mercy is more. That's the contrast, isn't it? Though my sin is great, his mercy is more. I hope that you understand the mercy of God and that God is merciful to those who are in Christ. And he continues to do that and express his grace to us. Let's stand together as we sing.
His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood beneath the debt we could never afford. Our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins they are Darkness, new every morning. 